Hey, science fiction and fantasy authors, would you like to get more exposure for your books and get some support to uncover story ideas, enhance story cohesion, and get some ideas for marketing? Then sign up for my 30-minute story success clinic. Every 30-minute story success clinic is recorded and gets aired as an episode of the How to Write the Future podcast. So sign up today. The link is in the show notes. And now let's get on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Write the Future podcast. I'm Beth Barani, your host. This podcast offers fiction t- writing tips for science fiction and fantasy writers who want to create optimistic stories because when we vision what is possible, we help make it so. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Hugh Tipping for our Story Success Clinic. Hugh, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Yeah, excellent. Good to be here, Beth. My name is Hugh, and I'm currently in the process of extensive editing of my very first novel, which is an epic fantasy novel. It's it's grown quite large as I've been working on it, well over 158,000 words, but I've been enjoying the process of refining it and and, uh, sculpting it into something a little bit more compact, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, great, great. And Full, full disclosure, everyone, Hugh is one of my clients, and we have the pleasure of working together and diving deep into his manuscript. So I'm, I'm excited today to talk with you about a naughty problem that you wanted to bring to us, which is really getting into deep point of view, staying in deep point of view, all the things about deep point of view. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, okay. that's, that's been one of my bigger challenges in yeah. really refining this novel. Great. Tell me a little bit about what's challenging about getting into point of view for your main character. Yeah, the deep point of view. I was actually, actually, let me start with, with why I decided to go with deep point of view in the first place. Because the way I've written in the past, when I've written some short stories or was, you know, tried with a novel a number of years ago, I did a lot of head jumping and I had sort of an omniscient point of view. And I, and I found that when I would go back and I would read what I had written, I I found that it was just lacking for me a lot of depth. I felt like I needed more, I, I needed more feeling. I needed more layers to my characters. And when you and I started working on, um, you know, figuring out how to do deep point of view for my characters, I found that I, I got a lot more, a lot more emotion, a lot more feeling, a lot more, a lot more realism to it. And, and that uh, has brought its own challenges because when, you, when you're going deep into someone's psyche, deep in, inside their mind and, and what it is they're feeling, how they're reacting, it, it's definitely evocative of one's own emotions. It can be a little tiring for sure, but it's also, you, you want to make sure that you are being true to the character as you're trying to build them. Mm-hmm. And and frequently, as those emotions are evoked within me, I find myself putting 
a little too much of myself into the character. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly all of my characters in the novel have bits and pieces of my own personality. Yeah. But I want to I want to make sure that I'm I'm staying true to the creative process of creating something new and something different but that's also very real to mm-hmm. me. So it takes definitely a lot of a lot of stamina, <laughs> endurance to stay there. Yeah. And and also because I'm doing things deep POV for several of my characters from scene to scene or chapter to chapter I find myself having to really adjust making mm-hmm. sure that I don't have any kind of attention residue left over from the previous character that I was working on. Ah, so it's not just getting into deep point of view, it's also making sure each point of view is distinct and has its own strong mm, perspective and and they don't sound too similar. Like some some writers will say, "Oh, my characters sound too similar one to the other and there's not enough distinction." Would you say that's another challenge or that's part of this deep point of view challenge? Uh, indeed it is. Indeed yeah. it is. Because when you're, when you're going through someone's inner thoughts, each person has their own, their own past, their own history. Mm-hmm. And, and those, those inner thoughts are going to be different. The person is going to construct their thoughts differently. Absolutely. So it's, it's making sure that they don't all have the same thoughts. <laughs> that's right. They don't all sound the same. They aren't clones of each other. Right. Great. And so the first challenge, it sounds like, is also just the emotional work that goes into expressing the point of view, especially for the main character who you're saying has a lot of similarities to you. Yeah. yeah. And would you say that the challenge there is also like, how do you draw up a character that originally starts out as very much like an extension of self, but then you're like, oh, I want to make this character different. How do I do that? I'm wondering if it's like, how do I not be so drained emotionally by the work of creating this character and, and writing him? And, you know, because I know you're in the editing phase, you know, yes. bringing out the edits, polishing, editing, cutting, revising, rewriting, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> all of it. Yeah. And then some. <laughs> and then some, yeah. Yeah, cool. So um, so I'm going to offer some um, suggestions and you can tell me how they land. And also those listening in podcast land, you can try these on for size and see if they work for you. This is all a big experiment. Being an artist is about experimenting, in my opinion. So you and I know in the past have talked about creating anchors, like having a physical thing that represents either the writing space. But in this case, I'm wondering if there's a physical object or a picture that might represent the character that allows you to definitely distinguish it as other, right? It, it exists here outside of you as a, as an image or as an object or, or uh, you know, I'm just spitballing here, but, you know, um, a symbol even. And, and because you're writing fantasy and there's magic, you know, is there even a magic symbol? Ooh, I just thought of that. That could represent your main character as very unique to that person, which then invites the idea like, ooh, then each character could have its own visual symbol, picture or symbol that or, or color, something that helps you differentiate them very, very clearly. How does that land for you? Yeah, I, I like that idea. And I'm a person who who's very very visual because when i when i first started describing the appearance of my characters i i sort of had an image in my head but then i went on the internet looked for images that kind of look like them however to, to think about 
uh, besides what they look like, stuff that they have. I kind of like that idea. If I could either have a, a picture of something or draw something or print it out and have it right there in front of me as I'm having the character think or react, that actually, yeah, I like that idea. That could really add um, some more depth because it, it connects me to what the character is connected to. Yes, yes. And, and by extension... Is there an element about that character? A lot of character sketches we in, suggest you pick an adjective for your character. And in our training, we also suggest you pick a verb. And what I do when I'm, especially in the refining stage, is I pick some kind of music or musicality. because that helps me make word choice decisions and rhythm decisions. You know, one of my previous works, Henrietta the Dragon Slayer, you oh, know, yeah. I always had... Henrietta speak in a certain style, very Anglo-Saxon languages, very punctuated, very active. And then I would have Frank speak in like very short sentences. And then I would have Jackster, another character speak in, in this kind of melodic sing-songy. He was a storyteller. And then I had the fourth character in the story, Paulette. She was very self-centered. So everything she said was very much centered on me, 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 I, 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 <laughs> you know. And, and that's how I filtered their language choices also in the rhythms and things like that. So if you notice in this example, I just picked very few, just one very short descriptor that helped me make these decisions and helped me connect. It was like a, a form of shorthand that I used in the, in the revising phase. So I'm wondering if, if that would be helpful to you for your main character and, and your other point of view characters. Yeah, I think that would be. Um, even, even what you were saying with, with how the different characters speak, um, because my main character is an academic. He's always been an academic. He's very, very well read. And, and you know, he would speak in, in full grammatically correct sentences. <laughs> Whereas another one of the main characters who's a mercenary and she's had to fight for survival much of her life, she's not going to speak that way. She's going to be a lot more to the point and, and much more efficient. Yeah. And there we go. There's, a, there's an adjective right there, efficient. Ooh, I like it. With yeah. what she does that mm -hmm. could inform what's going on inside of her head. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that a yeah, lot. Yeah, even just talking it out here, words are sort of popping up into my head. That's great. And you said something for your main character, which is he's academic. And so I thought of wordy. Someone else might think he's wordy. He, though, might think he's what? Yeah, he, he's definitely wordy, but he might think that he is uh, explaining, teaching, helping, that he's, he's being giving of, of his knowledge to mm -hmm. someone else. That's great. Whereas someone else would prefer to summarize more often. Yeah, I get to the point. So the word you used that jumped out at me was explaining. Mm. It's almost like his character, his modus operandi on a certain level. Like he could tell us the origin of every word and the origin of every spell and the origin of, and the history of the regions. And, you know, with that be fair, like just in a kind of a neutral descriptor of him? I, I think so. I think yeah. so. And, and I think even in, even before he speaks, what's going on in his head before he speaks is him trying to relate a current situation or a challenge to what he's learned, to something he learned in history, maybe, or one of his 
magic classes. Um, so he, he he has to he has to put some so, sort of grounding maybe under under a situation he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. I like that. And so now you've really explained his inner life and the way he speaks and then it's going to color the way he's going to describe his setting because he, he might do kind of what we might call run-on sentences or longer sentences you know such and such comma which da 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 in you know he might have several dependent clauses on top of the main clause because he's explaining to himself what he's saying and then the mercenary because she's um, what did you say? Efficient. So when she scans her environment, how, you know, she's going to use an efficient way of thinking about her surroundings. And also because she's, she's a hunter, she's going to see her surroundings completely differently than your academic. Yeah. She's, she's definitely going to look at the world uh, in survival mode. She's going to look for dangers. She's going to look for Versus that she can use food, mm-hmm. whereas whereas the main character, the mage, might look at a tree and say, "Oh, look at those nice colors!" And uh, the leaves are turning to you know a week early this fall. The mercenary is not going to think about that. Mm-hmm. She's going to think, uh, "Oh, damn! Uh, the leaves are about to fall. I'm going to lose some cover this forest." What a wonderful example! I love yeah. that. Yeah. And so even with that one example, and, and you actually kind of call forth like, this is a great exercise, right? How would your other point of view characters, because you have some other ones, you could do the same exercise. What's a good adjective for them? And how does that um, color <laughs> the way they see the tree? You know, you, and right. you could use the same example for all of them and then write a little uh, cheat sheet for yourself and with your symbols or images and have that um, right there, you know, when you work right next to your computer mm-hmm. or in your computer and <laughs> call it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that idea of finding, finding words for each of the characters. Now I'm just sort of running down the list of characters, thinking of what words I would have for them, how yeah. people would notice things they wouldn't, people would be dismissive mm-hmm. of things. Others might be obsessed with them. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, excellent. I'm so, so glad. Um, and then as we consider that, uh, is there anything else about point of view that would help you? We kind of covered like, how do you distinguish them one from the other? Also, w- by having an object or an image that might allow you to kind of really separate yourself better, especially from the main character. Um, is there any other aspects about point of view that are coming up, bubbling up that we can address in our time here remaining? Just going back to what we were s- saying earlier about putting oneself into one's character. Um, and, and frequently in situations, I, I think, what would I do in that situation? And maybe it's time for me to say, what wouldn't I do? What's the opposite of what I might do to help, to help change it up a little bit? Which is hard mm-hmm. because you're used to doing things a certain way in your life and you're not used to doing the opposite of it. So that would help make the character different than me. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> what wouldn't I do? What's the opposite of what I would do? And that's tough. That is tough. tough. And so I guess the first thought that comes to mind about that is who is an avatar for that? Who represents that opposite behavior? Who out in the world or in another story or someone maybe that you know, who would categorically choose something else or the opposite? Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is, is look for someone else that might represent this yeah. This antithesis of mm-hmm. what I, I might do in a situation. Yeah, that's a yeah. good idea. 
And are you thinking of bringing that in for your main character and having him be the one who makes some of those choices? Or is this for a different character? Definitely for the main character, for Mm -hmm. sure. And it might be for others as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still focusing mainly on on the main character right now for a lot of this work, but there are secondary characters who are just as important that, that need this same treatment. Yeah. And it's interesting to notice also what inspires you out in the world in terms of other people's stories and and you want to bring those kind of traits in. Is there any kind of other character from TV, film, or books where you're like, oh, I like that trait. I want to give it to my main character. Well, I'm thinking of some characters from... I've I've read a lot of Ursula Le Guin novels. I was a big fan of the Earthsea series. And there's the main character there definitely doesn't share a whole lot with my main character, but he's also a mage and he has his own struggles and he's made his mistakes. So perhaps I should look at some of his flaws, mm-hmm. some of the mistakes that he's made and apply that to my main character. That's great. This total random example, but when I was working on my YA fantasy series, I was thinking a lot about Fifth Element the movie, The Fifth Element. Yeah, I love that movie so much. And I was thinking somehow there's things about, there's certain scenes and certain moments and certain choices that were really inspiring me in in that work to bring them into my fantasy. That's just one of my favorites. (laughs) Well, I think that's a good example because Mm -hmm. The Fifth Element has such a wide diversity of characters and personality traits and quirks. I think that's what makes the movie so attractive. You don't have a lot of same people. You have everybody who looks a little different and they're bringing their own weirdness to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're all have their separate and competing agendas. Yeah. So, yeah. It's the agendas and their motivations Yeah, that are definitely part of it. That's great. Well, as we wrap up, what do you see yourself doing with the information that we worked on today? What's well, next- I'm definitely going to be thinking of words for characters. I mean, that's the very first thing I think I'm going to do. And the next thing I'm going to do is is look at either people in my life or characters and other stories. They don't necessarily even have to be fantasy stories. Maybe I saw this criminal on Law and Order who has some weird personality traits I found interesting that I could bring into the story for one of the antagonists. That's great. Uh, so I think what I'm going to do is, is observe right now, mm-hmm. see, what, see what I can pull in just from from my day-to-day mm-hmm. life and watching a movie or reading a book. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's great. You've got two really solid steps there. I think so, yeah. And one last question that I didn't put in our prep necessarily, but I want to start integrating. Actually, I have two questions then. One is, where do you, where do you see yourself six months from now with your book? Where, where would you like to be? What's your ideal? If you could wave a magic wand. Wow. That's a good question. I've been working on a lot of world building these days, so I, I definitely want to have my world looking a lot more solid and rules of my my fictional environment a little bit more solid, and I can draw upon them as I'm going through the story. But even just what we were talking about tonight with, with Deep POV, I want to look at these characters, especially in those first few chapters. I want those characters to have more layers to them. I want to go back and read and see the switch from this character to that character to a third one and see it as being more distinct, mm-hmm. that there's a different 
there's a different feel or a different mood when I switch to a different character's POV. And if I'm reading something, especially if I'm reading it aloud, which is the best way to to check your own edits, if it sounds and feels like that switch in mood, then I know I'm on the right track. So in six months, I really hope I'm, I'm getting there. That's great. And I love that we brought up Fifth Element for you to even remind yourself of like, ooh, how, how much you notice that and how much you want that. So um, I'm going to go watch that movie again. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I may uh, do then, the same. Yeah, yeah. figure, figure out, out you know, what it is that's really working about that movie. That's wonderful. So my final question for you before I have you share with the audience about how they can find you is, is about the future. Since this is called How to Write the Future, in what way do you feel your story and your lens to a new vision or new version of, of our future and the future of the readers? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot or anything. Not at all. I, I mean... My my novel takes takes place in in a medieval environment that would be very much like our world's past. But I I would like it to teach lessons for the future. I, I think stories can teach us by example how to improve, how to get better, what the future can be like even if the technology is not there mm-hmm. or the social advancement isn't there, even seeing where it's not there can be informative for the mm-hmm. future saying, this is, is this the way we want to be? Mm-hmm. How do we prevent ourselves from being like that or returning to that at some point? Mm. Fun, really fun. Great, Hugh, this has been really fun. I would love to for people to find out hear how they can connect with you. So sure. Is there a social media channel or a website that you can direct people to? Yeah, I, I have a page on Linktree. It's uh, linktr.ee slash htipping. And that links to other social media stuff. Fabulous. And we'll make sure that's in the show notes. So great. Thank you so much, Hugh, for being with us at How to Write the Future. And I wish you all the best with your fabulous fantasy novel. Thanks so much, Beth. It was, it was a lot of fun being on, on the podcast with you today. Write long and prosper. Science fiction and fantasy authors, sign up for your 30-minute story success clinic and get more exposure for your books. 